This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 50 The Bennington Triangle In southwestern Vermont lies an area with a dark and mysterious past. This area is known for the unexplainable events that have taken place there. Some believe this particular stretch of land is cursed and has been for centuries. However, others believe the area is known to be home of a monster that inhabits it, or assume the area is a prime location, rich in paranormal activity. This is the story of the Bennington Triangle. The Bennington Triangle spans a large portion of the Green Mountain National Forest in the Glastonbury Mountains. This includes some or most of the area of the town surrounding it, including Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, Somerset, and Glastonbury. Glastonbury and its neighboring township, Somerset, were once moderately thriving logging and industrial towns. However, now they were nothing more than ghost towns, unincorporated by an act of the Vermont General Assembly in 1937. Due to most of the residents leaving these towns, one would assume the area would become more peaceful and quiet for those who chose to remain living there. Unfortunately, the peace and quiet would be short-lived and disturbed due to a series of mysterious incidents and the unexplained disappearances of at least five residents over the course of five years. On November 12, 1945, 74-year-old Mitty Rivers, a hunting guide, was leading a party of four hunters in the area of Hell Hollow and the southwest woods of Glastonbury. When Mitty was approached by the four hunters and asked if he would lead their group, he quickly obliged. He was very familiar with the area as he had grown up there. During their hike back to camp, Mitty had increased his pace and was significantly further ahead of the group. Assuming he was going to go ahead to the camp to prepare the fire for the group's arrival, they didn't think anything of it. A short while later, they reached their campsite and were surprised to find that Mitty wasn't there. 
This raised some concern as the time passed, and Mitty still hadn't shown up. Two of the hunters retraced the route they had taken, but were unsuccessful in locating the man. Eventually, a thorough search was conducted, involving over 300 people and U.S. Army soldiers. After an eight-day search, it was called off. The only thing that was found during the search was a single rifle cartridge, matching the one Mitty had been using, sitting on a rock next to a small stream. Some believed due to Mitty's extensive background and familiarity of the area, he would turn up eventually. However, that was never the case. A year later, 18-year-old Paula Weldon, a student at Bennington College, left the campus after telling her roommate she was going for a hike. Before her trip, she stopped at a local store in Bennington and asked an employee for directions. She then set off on the Long Trail Road area just off Route 9, near Glastonbury Mountain, on the afternoon of Sunday, December 1st. 1946. It was a chilly day, so she decided to wear her bright red jacket. As she was on her way, she met an elderly couple traveling on the same path, greeting them as she passed. Hey! The couple watched as Paula continued down the path and disappeared beyond the curve ahead. A minute later, They reached the curve as it opened up to a wide stretch of open land where the path continued. However, to their surprise, the girl wasn't anywhere to be seen ahead. This struck them as very strange. There would have been nowhere for her to go, and they could see all the way down the path. The next morning... Paula's roommate reported her missing after she hadn't returned to campus or shown up for her classes that day. An extensive search was then conducted, including more than 1,000 people along with an aerial search. A $5,000 reward was offered and shortly after, the FBI became involved. Unfortunately, during the search, no clues or any information concerning her whereabouts were found. Paula had completely vanished. Exactly three years after Paula Weldon disappeared, James Tetford went missing on December 1st, 1949. James, 68 years old at the time, was a veteran and resident of the Bennington Soldiers' Home. James had taken a trip to visit some relatives in St. Albans and had taken the bus home. It was a normal trip that he took regularly, and that particular one had been no different. When he boarded the bus, he greeted the passengers already on board and took his seat at the back. He placed his luggage and coat next to him in a neatly placed pile and settled in for the trip back to Bennington. However, once the bus pulled into the Bennington Bus Depot, James was nowhere to be found. 
His belongings still sat in a luggage rack and an open bus timetable sat in his vacant seat. When asked, the passengers on board stated that the last time they remembered seeing him had been as the bus departed from Arlington, which was the last stop before Bennington. However, no one had seen him or observed him getting out of his seat, walking on the bus, or even exiting. Although his disappearance had been investigated into, no one reported seeing anything nor reported any suspicious activity or incidents. James Tetford was never seen or heard from again. The following year, on October 12th, eight-year-old Paul Jepson was accompanying his mother to help feed the pigs. He enjoyed getting to ride out with her in their pickup truck and always sat in the passenger seat watching his mother feed the pigs, which were kept at the far end of their property. As they pulled up to the fence, Paul's mother told him to wait and exited the vehicle. She walked a few feet toward the fence, still in view of the pickup truck. After a few minutes, she returned to the truck and was horrified to find that Paul was gone. She immediately searched the area with no success. She then started yelling for him. This alarmed the family inside the house, causing them to run to her aid. The boy was eventually reported missing. Once again, a search party was conducted. Hundreds of people gathered to take part in the search. Bloodhounds were also brought in and quickly caught a scent. This led them near the Glastonbury Mountain. As they got closer, they came upon a crossroads and the scent was lost. It wasn't long before authorities came to the realization that they were near where Paula Weldon had gone missing. It was immediately assumed that the boy may have been abducted by a passing motorist. Regardless, they continued their search. After several days, no information, nor remains were uncovered. The disappearance of Paul Jepson was devastating to the community. However, there was very little time for them to recover from the loss. Just two weeks after Paul went missing, the community suffered another terrible tragedy. Frida Langer went missing on October 28, 1950. Frida had been on a camping trip with her family, as they did from time to time. The family decided to set up camp near Glastonbury Mountain. Frida, whom was 53 years old at the time, invited her cousin Herbert Elsner out for a quick hike while the family set everything up. They left the campsite near the Somerset Reservoir. They had only been hiking for a few minutes when Frida slipped and fell into the stream, soaking her clothes and shoes. Frustrated by her clumsiness, she asked Herbert to wait there for her while she ran back to the camp to change. Herbert sat waiting for Frida to come back for what seemed like a very long time. 
After she did not return, he decided to walk back to camp to see what had been holding her up and see if she was alright. Little did he know, at the time, she wasn't. He arrived back at the campsite and Frida was nowhere to be found. He asked the rest of the family where she was. However, no one had seen her as she did not return back to camp. Alarmed by this, the entire family set out to locate her. The walk back to camp was only a couple of minutes, and there was only one route to take back. Someone would have seen her near the camp, even if she had chosen not to stop. In the following weeks that passed, several search parties, including nearly 500 people comprised of volunteers, police, firefighters, soldiers, and aircraft all scoured the area for any sign of her. Despite their efforts, they were left empty-handed. After tireless hours were spent attempting to locate the woman, the search was then called off. Seven months later, on May 12, 1951, a body was located near the Somerset Reservoir. The body was confirmed to be that of Frida Langer. Authorities were baffled. The area where her body was found had been previously thoroughly searched. Unfortunately, due to the nature and decomposition of the body, the cause of death could not be determined. Frida Langer's disappearance and death remain a mystery to this day. Frida was the last person to disappear in the five-year span of disappearances in the Bennington Triangle area. Additionally, she was the only person whose body had been found. There were never any direct connections between any of the missing persons that could tie each case together, despite them happening in the same general area. Regardless, each case has baffled authorities and everyone involved for many years. The strange disappearances are just a portion of what makes the Bennington Triangle such a mysterious place. Due to its dark past and the strange occurrences that have taken place there, it is an area that one should consider the possibilities of what might happen should they choose to step foot into the insatiable darkness that will forever haunt what has now become known as the Bennington Triangle. Welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, an ad break. Hey guys, if you're hanging on every spooky word from Jordan and Ryan, I've got a recommendation for you. My name's Elliot Gates, the host of the Anthology of Heroes podcast. Every episode, I share the tales of those who left their mark on our world. Far from the dry, dull speeches of politicians you were forced to memorize in school, I'm serving up drama, action, tragedy, and triumph. Through knife-edge victories, defiant last stands, and doomed final speeches, you'll learn about some of the lives of the most fascinating individuals ever to walk the earth. Like the story of Khalid Ibn al-Walid, 
a pagan merchant who went on to lead the armies of the Prophet, or skipping a few centuries forward to the tiny island of Malta, where a 72-year-old crusader held the line with 600 knights against 40,000 Ottoman invaders in what's remembered as the greatest siege of all time. While up in Wales, Owen Glendor threw off the shackles of English oppression, rose up against the tyrannical king and led the Welsh in their greatest rebellion in history. All these stories and so many more are available right now on the Anthology of Heroes podcast. Tune in on all podcasting platforms and on Instagram. My name's Elliot Gates, and I hope to see you there. And now, the debrief. All right. Finally, 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 we're back to a hotspot. Yes. Yes, we are. We haven't talked about a hotspot in a while. Yeah. I know. There for a while, like toward the beginning, it was like every week. At least every one of mine, you're like, this is a hotspot, <laughs> yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah. before we go any further, I also want to call out, this is episode 50. The official episode 50. Not a yeah. fireside chat, but the actual show. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, worth, worth a mentioning. A huge milestone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super proud. Like, in two weeks, it'll be a year. Yeah. That's crazy. Shows. Yeah. Okay, and we've we've already hit all of the milestones that I know we originally set for ourselves this year, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's been a great year. It's it's been awesome. We'll talk about that in episode fifty-two. We should probably take some time to like, you know, talk about our first year of podcasting and yeah. what it's been like and all that. So we'll we'll do that then. But or kind of brush up on the year for sure. Yeah, but like, it's yeah, fifty is a big. It's a big deal. It's a big number. It's a big number. It Anyhow, is. back to the hotspot. Yeah, let's talk about the Bennington Triangle. So, yes, uh, for those that aren't familiar, um, yeah, this is uh, a, a kind of a strange one. Uh, the, obviously, the biggest thing about this one, um, I guess more, more notable is the disappearances. Of course, there are a lot of other things that happen um, in this area. You know, it is a hot spot. It is, yeah. quote unquote, a, you know, another cousin uh, to the Bermuda Triangle, if you want to sure. call it that, I guess. The um, mothership of all triangles. Exactly. Out of yeah. a million that there are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like every, every, you know, tri-state area, every, yeah, fuck, there are counties that have their own triangles, right? Yeah. I mean, this one is, is primarily a county but with like you know surrounding surrounding areas rather but yeah it's just sort of this like area of the of the mountains right like right. the the main point of it is what's it called um glastonbury mountain yep right? yeah it's uh right around like the well glastonbury which was an old uh you know lumber and like industrial town. town right exactly um that's yeah. now i mean is literally non-existent those like those east coast um logging towns had the best names like glastonbury is such a cool yeah it's awesome i mean it obviously comes straight from the old country right yeah. they would just they would come over and settle a town and go like let's call it the same as the place we came from Right, it was it was actually really cool. I mean, they had they had some neat ones. Uh, Shaftsbury, yeah, <laughs> Woodford, <laughs> Bennington, yeah, which is neat. Right, they 
They're all they're obviously town names that came from the British Isles, right? right? Like, yeah. I dig it. I dig it. I think it's 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 a really cool, uh, really cool you know area rather. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it's called New England for a reason, right? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this area has tons of like tons of UFO sightings. They mm-hmm. have like ghost lights. They have um, creature sightings. They have everything happens in yeah. in this area. Yeah, they so, have their own Bigfoot. Um, yep. You know, it's what is it, the Bennington monster. Yeah, something like that is what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. And that the the Bigfoot stuff actually goes back way back to like the native tribes. Right. I mean, it's it's been around for a couple hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't just cuz a lot of places, you know, they get their own Bigfoot in at some point in the 20th right. century of they people started seeing them. Um No, there's there's reports back pretty far. I actually have a couple uh that we can we can discuss here too. So do you have some that predate the the disappearances? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's what I like um, to hear. There's also one in 1943. That's a possible, possible one. Okay. But some pretty cool, pretty cool stories. I like to hear anything from the 1800s. I'm gonna <laughs> right. do it. Um. All right. So where do you want to start? Do you want to discuss the disappearances first? Do we want to just get right in and start talking about their version of Bigfoot? Um, you know, like Dude, we some, can... of the, some of the paranormal. Yeah, I mean, let's let's play around with it. Let's let's go Bigfoot first. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I guess we'll we'll kind of talk about some of the earlier stuff too. Yeah. There's there's actually a really cool one that. Uh, it, that took place in 1943, so right before the disappearances. Um, right. But, uh, so for more than two centuries, there have been numerous sightings of a Bigfoot-like creature in the Glastonbury Mountain, known as the Bennington Monster, just like we've been talking about. So yeah. one of the first reported sightings occurred in the early 1800s when a stagecoach full of passengers was forced to stop on a washed-out road. Uh, the stage driver first noticed very large footprints in the mud that was t- that were too large to be a human's. Then the coach was attacked by a large creature who knocked the vehicle on its side. The frightened passengers could only see a pair of eyes before the monster roared and ran off into the forest. Later sightings described the creature as a large, hairy, black thing standing over six feet tall. Wow. And that was in the early 1800s. That one. That's pr- that's actually a pretty like scary encounter. It's a pretty gnarly it, like, one. Flipped yeah. their yeah, flipped their carriage. And it t- that's, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> Attacked the stage driver, which yeah, I mean that would suck, right? You know, at least everybody have- else was safe, and they just saw him you know, run in. But I know, like the Bennington monster is closer in temperament almost to like the skunk ape than it is the like pacific northwest style right Bigfoot. Yeah. the like it's not so much seen as like a gentle giant no it's like pretty aggressive mm-hmm. right lots of like snarling sounds get heard up there lots of like um people feeling like they're being followed for like mm-hmm. miles while they're hiking yeah. yeah like it's stalking them yeah, I had a 
Um, there was there was another story we'll get into a little bit as we talk about kind of like some of the more weird stuff. But yeah, he had also yeah. experienced that like that that feeling like he was being constantly like you know like he was being stalked or you know things yeah. like that. Just you know constantly on alert and just very eerie as well. So yeah, the area is. Yeah. I mean it's it's pretty crazy. So if there is a Bigfoot up there, he's a dick. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm just going to continue with that. Uh, so in 1943, there was another um, another one. A man named Carol Herrick. Uh, Herrick went missing during a hunting trip uh, about 10 miles uh, northeast of the ghost town of Glastonbury. And again, this was 1943. His body was discovered three days later surrounded by huge, mysterious footprints. And he had been squeezed to death. Whoa. Like a human tube of toothpaste. <laughs> that, that guy had a rough way to go. That would wow. be such a terrible that's... way to go out, man. Like, Yeah, that's intense. It's a big giant bear, well, I guess, um, Bennington monster hug. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full-on Sasquatch hug. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just that, that one, like, I just... I mean, I know, like, obviously the you know the stagecoach and all that's pretty pretty cool, but like that one, I I thought was pretty was pretty neat just because of the big footprints that they found. Yeah, and yeah. also this just crushed man. That's intense. Yep. Yeah, it's you don't get a lot of. I mean, honestly, even down south, with you know, like I mentioned before, the skunk ape is kind of known for being like really aggressive. Mm-hmm. But like, you don't. There aren't a lot of like Bigfoot in general. Sasquatch in general doesn't have much of a body count, right? You yeah, know? of course. So it's interesting that they have like a legit story about a guy who very well may have been killed by a Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. I think, and and I know like a lot of the other reports of seeing this Bennington monster and things like that weren't quite as aggressive. Um, you know, like people would catch glimpses or, you know, see what what they assume to be, you know, as a Sasquatch or something similar, right? right? Um, yeah. But not a whole lot of, like, contact. And these were kind yeah. of the most notable, like, out of all the stories that, that I came across. Um, okay. You know, where something actually happened. A lot but, of what I've... A lot of what I've read from that area is, like... People get the the same feeling people describe when they like go into a supposedly haunted house, you know, that like that like eerie, heavy, yep, I'm being watched feeling. People seem to experience that a lot in the triangle. Yeah, um, especially as it gets like darker in the area. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's experienced a lot. And then of course a lot of people see like the ghost lights or um, say that yep. like the old cemetery in Glastonbury glows. Um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of like just weird lights in the area and everything too. So that just adds to that like creep factor for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'm the lights are a huge thing, right? And mm-hmm. like in all Fortean phenomenon, it seems to be connected to these weird lights. Yeah, that and then there's also some, I guess, uh, very extreme odors at times. Okay. You know, that's apparently very 
stinky. <laughs> you think that's like a Sasquatch thing? That's what I wonder. You know, that's that's. I guess that's what that would be my assumption. That or... yeah, because you think animal, right? Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that seems to be you know kind of where I would go. Either that or maybe like you know the remains of all these people that have disappeared. Just uh, you know. Some reason, you know, sometimes this area just starts breathing and it's breathing out the right <laughs> these dead bodies. I don't know, you know. Um, but no, I would I would assume maybe the rock swallowed them and it's exhaling. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's another one. Um, no, I recently, I've recently been kind of digging into the the light, the connection with lights and and all of this stuff. Okay. Um, Obviously not just in the Bennington Triangle, but in, you know, the world over. Right. Um, Because, like, to me, it's that my... I feel like the lights are the connection for, like, unification theory. You know, the idea that all these things are come from one source. Of course. Yeah. Um, Which I tend to lean toward. I know, like, some people find that sort of boring. But, like... I... I recently heard um, Miguel Romero was on a podcast. I forget what podcast it was, but he was, he said something just offhandedly and it like really hit home. He was like, when someone sees a light in the sky, they're like, must be an alien. And when they see a light in their bedroom, they think must be a ghost. Right? Like, I, I suppose. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So like people see like light orbs in their house, they're like, "Oh, that's a ghost." But when they see them in the sky, they're like UFO. Right? But I feel like that's a significantly different thing. Cuz if you can see such a large like if you can I mean, you know, like of course like you have these weird light anomalies, different orbs and things like that that are you know small and I guess you know in comparison and normal day-to-day right you know, if you see it in your uh-huh. house or something like that versus a light that you're seeing so far up in the sky that's going to be much much larger for you to even be able to see it right but a light is still a light i mean i don't know if i would right if i would consider that the same thing I, all i know is like 80 percent of ufo sightings are just lights right. people don't oh, yeah. ever see anything more than the light right mm-hmm. so what like I'm yet to see proof that the lights in the sky are anything different than light orbs that people like ghost lights that people see in the forest or yeah you know little light orbs that people see when they take photographs or see, I don't you know what I mean I don't really buy into the little light orbs that people see in like pictures yeah because it's very easy to confuse that with dust particles yeah a lot of it's dust yeah and or in video and stuff like that like oh watch this you see this that's a ghost no it's not yeah um people are like watch this reflected dust fragment fly into the back of zach baggins's <laughs> neck right right before he gets very sad yeah I, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i yeah. i know what you mean no, that well, right, um, but I obviously like ghost lights and stuff that like you see in a forest, like you see yeah. things like that. I mean, you know, that could be reflection, like you know, a, a sure, creatures eyes anything. and things like that. Right, literally anything. But yeah. I think like you know, I think some of those there's some 
you know, there's something to some of some of it. I think so too. But I don't. I do. I just don't see those as one and the same. I mean, you have people like um, like Matthew Shang, Mothboy Matt. When we had him on for a fireside chat, he described an encounter with a light orb that he had in the forest. And by the time he got to the light, because he was running toward it, by the time he got to it, he realized how big it was. And it was like, it was not small. Mm -hmm. Right? And like, something like that, I think could very well be the same as what people are seeing in the sky. Yeah. So it's all aliens. Or none of it's aliens. Nah, it's aliens. <laughs> you just want everything to be aliens. <laughs> I'll take aliens over ghosts and stuff like that anytime. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, anyway, that's that was all a little off point, but no, like, it's still it the, very, very much still, you know, is yeah, is important to what we're discussing here because a lot of people do see things like that in you know in this area. Yeah, for sure. So some of, I guess, you know, obviously. A lot of a lot of things that uh, you know people say that they see UFOs over this area a lot. You know it is a hot spot, so you know you're going right. to see a lot of a lot of UFO activity. Um, you know, and just different sounds, uh, which you know may not even be this Bennington monster. Yeah. Um, you know, people hear like just different. I guess you know. It, weird like disembodied voices that come from this area um another okay. really cool one that i found was um some people will be driving off of route 9 which is the the main highway that goes through the area and we'll have the radio off and then all of a sudden hear this just like disembodied voice that'll come over the radio with it you know not even playing you know and there's been a lot of reports of that that's gnarly which is yeah that's pretty pretty cool uh, yeah. Of course, you know, a lot of people claim that GPS will stop working, compasses will stop working in the area. Right. You know, pretty pretty general, but pretty neat. Classic Bermuda Triangle style activity. Right. Yeah. There's even been a lot, like, there. well, I guess there's been some, you know, plane activity that's gone down in this area, too. I was actually about to ask that sarcastically. Yeah, no, actually, <laughs> well, I have like, a story for you. Wow. So okay. in May of 2018, um, a pilot had left the Burlington International Airport and was heading to Oxford, Connecticut, uh, when his plane went down in the Bennington area. So uh, the crash was just three miles off of Route 9. There, uh, they weren't basically able to determine determine the crash or the cause of the crash. There was, you know, they tried to check for like anything within the weather or anything like that that could have influenced it, any issues. There were no issues reported with the plane. And they had even said, like, the pilot had been flying for six years. You know, it, it wasn't like he wasn't new or anything. Right. So the Federal Aviation Administration said that it lost contact with the plane as it was flying over the Bennington area about 3.30 p.m. on a Sunday. Now, some of the tie-ins, which, um, you know, because I'm trying to, trying to piece connections between, like, the dis right. different disappearances... Most of them were, you know, they were generally within, like, the last three months of the year. Uh, you know, so yeah. as it started to get a little bit colder. Obviously, this is May. A little bit different. Um, time yeah. of the day was between 2 and 4 p.m. Um, that people would last see or hear of them. 
And, mm -hmm. of course, they were all within close proximity to each other. Now, the fact right. that they lost contact with this plane at 3.30 p.m. as it was flying over, you know, this Bennington Triangle area, you know, yeah. is, is pretty uh, pretty sus for sure. Yeah. Like, my fits that whole criteria. Yeah, definitely. Um, my biggest question about the airplane story is... Why would anyone want to go to Connecticut? <laughs> You're about to anger <laughs> some people here. I'm sure. I'm sure at least one of them. One of them listens. I mean, isn't Connecticut basically just the highway that connects Boston to New York? I mean, I'm pretty sure it is. You know, that's really all that. That's that's all that's there. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's uh, all right. Well, I don't know. I've I've heard it described as as that several times yeah anyway that's, i mean that's um, fair i'm sure people say it you know of course you know, you can say yeah, that I, about your own state but you can't say it about somebody else's state i'll say whatever i want about connecticut all right man <laughs> there, there goes our numbers yeah <laughs> crashing in country clubs all across so, somehow the majority of our listener base <laughs> are connecticutians <laughs> Connecticutians, Connecticutians. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Connecticutians. Um, yeah, I like the. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like how you're getting all like David Politis on it, though. Like can, making all these like no, I'm, connections yeah, between to, the disappearances. Yeah, just trying to see you know, kind of put, yeah. figure out some way to like piece these together because there was no way that because. They tried to figure out, like, what similarities were there, like, what could tie yeah. these different cases together. And, I mean, that's the specific things, you know, the main similarities between them. And obviously the fact that they all happened roughly within a couple miles of this this area. Yeah. So. No, I like, um, the a lot of the missing person stories reminded me of the kind of stuff that I've researched for Missing 411. Yeah stuff you know people just like they're seen walking over a hill the people behind them get to the top of the hill and they're, and gone. they're gone yep just gone yeah and that's like, that's exactly like the the uh, polo weldon story yeah you know she passes the elderly couple and she's she's like a i think they basically said she's like a hundred yards ahead of them so i mean yeah. just did you know a minute to get to where she's at as she's passing this corner and it opens up into this just white area that, you know, you would see her if she was there, but she was nowhere to be found. Yeah. There were a couple other weird things about her disappearance. Like she was a, like she was a fairly hiking was not a new thing for her. Like going right. on a hike was a thing she did regularly. So like, I know her friends, were really thrown off by the fact that she had asked for directions to the long trail. Yeah, that was because it's like she knows how to. One. She knows how to get there. There's no reason why she would ask for directions. And I know, like the attendant who gave her directions, basically advised her against it based on like the fact that she was not at all dressed for a hike. Yeah, you know, but. Like, yeah. What was also strange, though, is that on that same day, there were quite a few people traveling, you know, that that road or this, this like, long trail, trail, rather. Right, yeah. 
and so, just no one saw her. And no one, no one else saw her. Right. Yeah, that's odd for sure. So either like she had some other hidden agenda, and she's like trying to pre, you know, pre-plan all this stuff and throw people off, and mm-hmm. I, I doubt it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, that's that seems pretty in depth and. Yeah. Also, she was what, like a freshman in college? Yeah, she, she was, was like 18. 18 right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like an 18 year old, if they want to like take off, they just take off. They just do it, right? Right? I mean, granted, this is, what was it, 1949 or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah, we maybe can't put like modern, yeah. modern behavior on someone from 80 years ago. December first, nineteen forty six, is when she disappeared. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, even even earlier. There we go. Like, yeah. So yeah, I mean, the time period's gonna be a little different, but also I feel yeah. like at that time it was also, I feel like that would have been a little out of character, you know. Just again, just given the time period. So it's, yeah, it's weird. You could be right. It's definitely weird. Yeah, hers is a weird one, but not even close to the weirdest one that you talked about. Like the uh, the Tedford, yes, the bus one, by far the wildest his, story. His is really cool. Um, yeah, that one that one is just to me sticks out so much because as like it even you know as he's getting on the bus he's even greeting people like hello you know this is something he makes this trip pretty regularly you know and yeah this I mean this is just a normal normal trip for him he's coming back home whatever else. Um, you know, seems like this, like, happy, happy-go-get-him guy, and nobody ever reports seeing him get out of a seat or anything, like, once he's, once he sat down. Yeah. Somebody had basically said that they had seen him at the last stop, but he was still sitting in a seat. Yeah. And they arrive into Bennington, and he's nowhere to be found. Yeah, that's... It's so odd. Like in like vanishing right from the bus in right, mid exactly. That's like some legit Bermuda Triangle shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean like, unless he was a ghost to begin with. You know, <laughs> maybe. Okay. But uh, you know, he he had just went to visit relatives too, so I I doubt it. Right. Yeah. You know, unless something happened and nobody's you know, coming forth with uh with that true story, but yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, just went to went to visit some relatives, and he's on his way back, and boom, he's gone. I know there had been some speculation based on the fact that I guess he told a few of his friends in the nursing home that he like hated it there and wasn't planning on ever coming back. Um, I don't know, cause like, I guess that's possible. Weirder, but... weirder things have happened than someone slipping off the bus without anyone noticing yeah but like i don't know because the people like if you read the accounts the people are so convinced that like that he should have been there right you know what i mean that no one saw him leave no one saw him get up no one saw him walking no one saw him exit the bus right so, it's a weird one, unless, man. Unless, like, he managed to slip in as someone was getting off and nobody happened to see it. I mean, that would be yeah. literally the only thing, but... Yeah. Like, I know most of those reports basically say, like, they had seen him as they were leaving Arlington. 
So not like as, you know, they were there or, you know, right. whatever. Right. But They saw him late enough to where he wouldn't have had a chance to get off at a stop. Right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's That one's a stumper. That's weird. I agree. I agree. I, it's definitely weird. I think that's definitely the coolest, the coolest one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course, they're. I think like the crazier, not 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 necessarily crazier, just because of like the, uh, you know, the circumstances, but like, uh, the one of uh, Frida Langer, the the last one, you know, where she goes out basically hiking and. Yeah, just disappears, and then they yeah. comb the area. You know, like they're scouring every inch of the area with a lot of people. I mean, you know, they even have like aerial search going on, everything, and they look at they specifically look at this area multiple times. And it's not till seven months later she happens to show up right there where they had extensively already searched. Yeah, see, that is like f- missing four one one to a T. That stuff happens constantly in those cases where like they'll they'll find a body months later in a place that they'd searched over yeah. and over again. Like man, it's I don't know. Like either because they talk about how like decomposed the body was and and yeah. such like rough shape it was found. So either she had maybe gotten washed downstream somehow made her way back and I I don't know. I feel like that would be a little out there. You know, yeah. to, you know to even kind of consider that, but yeah, just definitely definitely weird. Or she was taken by a person. Or that, exactly. Cuz if she was taken by a person, then obviously she could have been killed somewhere else and then brought back to that place then, later. Right? Right. I mean, they that's surprised they would remember exactly where you know yeah. yeah but unless that was their like hunting ground maybe right right which i mean that's, they were that's something familiar. to consider right with with all of these um there yeah. there is a theory that uh some people think that there was actually a there was a serial killer during this right. time period and that's where all of these disappearances were you know basically chalked up to you know, my main problem with that theory is that serial killers generally have a type. Right, of course. They have, like, an age range or a gender or an ethnicity that they tend to gravitate toward for victims. Mm-hmm. And, like, the victimology on this would be all over the place. Right. That's Old men, exactly. young women, that's the, little that's boys. That's kind of the biggest thing to, you know, that goes against that theory is that it's all over the place. You know, yeah. ages, ages, everything. And the unless lack of was, evidence. Unless and, it was genuinely just, like, a, a, you know, killer of opportunity. Someone who just killed I mean, whoever they had a chance to grab. Maybe. I don't but know. it just seems that seems very convenient. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I buy if I buy into the serial killer theory. Yeah. The victimology kind of kills it for me. Right. Um. But because serial killers like that are so have been so rare 
mm-hmm. that just don't have a type. They just kill whoever they get a chance to kill, you know? Yeah. I, um, I mean, yeah, that's the very few and far between. Yeah, extremely. Um, now, one one of the cases that does seem like it may have been a person that did it was the Paul Jepson case. Yeah. Because I know that they found they found like a man's glove at the scene, like where around that where he'd last been seen. Yeah. That was like one of the only pieces of evidence they gathered from from where he'd last been seen, which screams like, I mean, some creep right. grabbed him, you know. And the fact that they had caught a scent uh, with the bloodhounds and it stopped basically at a crossroads, which is right. why some people thought that he might have gotten picked up by you know, a passing motorist. Right. So um, that there's also. There's also with that one, the police talked about how like just a few weeks before, they, I guess the the kid was kind of known for running off. Um, just a few weeks before they had found him, like he had gone missing, and they found him like ten miles away. Okay. Um, so like he definitely could have been on one of his little runoffs and then got picked up by someone. That's possible. You know? Yeah. Run into the wrong person. Yeah. I I mean I suppose that one would that one could definitely be chalked up to you know that is a possibility. I mean he's also only what was it like 8 years old too. Yeah. So, which obviously makes him more vulnerable to right. that type of incident, right? Mhm. Some of the other yeah. uh some of the other theories obviously talk about just some of the like bigger animals of the area. Um, you know, the, the think that uh, maybe they were they were all possibly you know killed by uh, like uh, like bobcats, cougars, lynx, things like that. Um, sure. But the yeah, looking into like the bobcat and the lynx and stuff generally aren't aggressive towards humans. Um, and cougars aren't uh, really known known to that area. No cougars in this is Vermont, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was in Vermont. Yeah. So not a lot of cougars in Vermont. From what I was reading at least. I mean that could that could okay. be incorrect. And I know that they'd also talked about uh an older cat, uh which which was basically just a cougar. Uh that's yeah, just no longer known to the area, so because again, with an animal attack, the small child would obviously be way more vulnerable yeah, to that, of right? Like of course. cougars and stuff are kind of more known for going after you know kids than adults. Yeah. But if there are cougars in the area, that's definitely a possibility because they they will definitely stalk people, and they'll de- they definitely jump people, especially if you run from them. Right. Like they nail like cyclists a lot because they're like oh <laughs> toy that would be awful yeah. yes the catamount that's the that's the word I was looking oh, for yeah, yeah the catamount there are like terrifying youtube videos of people with like gopros on the front of their bikes yeah 
of them getting like chased by oh man by mountain lions i remember like being a kid Dude. and getting chased on my bike by dogs and stuff and that being terrible it's I terrifying imagine yeah <laughs> imagine it being an 80 pound cat right yeah <sighs> terrifying shit that's like the that's one of the main things that keeps me from wanting to go west yeah to move west is dude that's fair mountain lions freak me out so much right. and i know i was just in um just a couple fireside chats ago when we had greg martin on he's just down in southern indiana like near the kentucky border mm-hmm. and they're starting to have mountain lions down there Ugh. that have come up from kentucky and they're like he's actually like spotted a couple on on game on like game cams like trail cams that would be crazy around his around his field yeah terrifying yeah yeah i don't i don't want any of that i'm i'm pretty content you know where i'm at, where i'm at i think yeah we have nothing right so Nothing dangerous or interesting. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. I suppose so. I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, you know, like, obviously, just the dangers of the forest and the area and things like that. I mean, um, there there is, uh, you know, it is stated that, like, the weather, pa- like, the weather patterns and stuff there are pretty crazy. Um you know so that right there can cause basically cause anybody to get lost in yeah. you know, an area i mean rolling fog and things like that can disorient you and right. so that makes a lot of that sense was, that was another um similarity to the missing 411 stuff is like oftentimes when they would mount these rescue parties and they would be diverted by weather yeah you know, which is another thing that happens in these missing right. 411 cases over and over again. Um, I don't, to me, the like the least the least compelling one of the group was Mitty Rivers, the hunter. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like he was he had like a reputation for being like a serious survivalist, of yeah. course, but like he also had a reputation for pushing his luck out there and like going farther than he should being out alone for mm-hmm. longer than he should like because he was getting up there he was like in his 70s right right i mean but he was you um, know the the go-to person to yeah you know that knew the um, area yeah i know now we think of someone in their 70s differently than they would have in the 40s right for sure like he um, not to disparage him and you know characterize him as not being like capable but i just feel like he was like he had a reputation for kind of going crazy and like it wouldn't it wouldn't i don't think it would be odd for him to like have some kind of accident out there yeah right like at 70 years old i don't care how hard you are all it takes is like the right slip and fall right oh yeah and in the forest and you're done for I mean, especially, like, because he could have gone, you know, beyond, like, the camp or went off on, yep. you know, because the group that he was taking, um, they basically just followed the trail back that they had originally came, you know, yeah. so they didn't really, like, search too Go well, off trail. right? Yeah, like, 
he could have went because he was going to go set up camp, right? He he went ahead to right. set up. Yeah, he ended up was getting camp ahead set of them. up. No, not at all. Well, okay. so so the they thought that he was going back to you know set up the fire and everything. So I can't say if like their camp area wasn't already at least somewhat okay. set up, right? So if he was going ahead to get the fire started, he could have walked to camp and then went out to get firewood. Right. And, you know, had some kind of accident and gone farther than they would have expected him to go. Exactly. Collecting firewood and had an accident and that's all it takes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That would, and people have accidents in the forest all the time. All the time it happens. You know, but... Again, the thing with that is, is, of course, they did do a search. You know, they did search the area. Right. And, of course, he was never found. Yeah. Besides that I mean, one that... rifle cartridge that was found sitting on the rock next to the stream. Right. See, he could have went down in the... And gotten washed down into the stream, the stream and, and gotten washed yeah. down. Yeah. Yep. That's definitely, that's definitely possible. Um... I wonder if this town, this community ever got sick of assembling search parties. Man, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> like and every time, in in every one, they're like, 500 people were out searching. Yeah. And it's like, those 500 people were probably like, seriously? Again? Right. And the Apollo Weldon one, I mean, that was over a thousand people in that search. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, even FBI became involved. And, you know, like, that was, yeah. that was one of the more the more notable ones out of all of these just because of how thorough like that whole process was that was one that got real like national attention yeah. mm-hmm. right yeah yeah i mean that's the difference when like a, a cute young girl goes missing like an 18 year old woman goes missing it it does it makes national news yeah. it's different than when like an old man disappears I, you know I mean, it is it is it's uh you know it yeah it's the nature of things. Yeah. So, um, so a little, I guess a little bit more that I would like to get into here is, so we've talked about, you know, obviously kind of Bigfoot, that whole route, kind of the more paranormal route, you know, seeing, seeing these things and, and all of that in the, the forest and, and all of that. So one thing I did want to touch on is basically before the towns and everything had settled there. And you know, obviously, before any of the disappearances, before you know, before all that, there the area had belonged to the, what the Abenaki tribe, which was part of the Algonquin Nation. Uh, so basically, they you know they had their beliefs of this area, and had kind of formed their you know, beliefs on like the lore of the area. Yeah, basically, it was believed that. Um, their their god at the time was the and I know I'm gonna butcher it the butcher t- it, I, I like believe it. yeah um, yeah which dwelled at the summit of the Glastonbury Mountain was was what they believed and so um, you know so basically that was you know that was already the area was you know it was very sacred right and also the wind there was different. So basically, yeah, which um, word for yeah. word rather, 
But so they basically said that like it was the area was the wind in the area was volatile. Um, so depending on the different conditions, and you know basically they there were four winds uh, that contradicted uh, contradicted one and the other um, at the summit of the mountain. And so, I mean, which I guess that's kind of hard to hard to imagine. Um, yeah, you know, you're I guess four different directional winds. Right, is kind of how okay. I how I perceive it. Yeah, so that already brought kind of like a, a darkness to the area, and so they like feared going you know too deep into this area. And additionally, um, they also believed that there was a man-eating rock that lived there. Yes, like we like we had talked about, uh, eager to consume any person who stepped foot on it, and. So basically, you know, the way that I understand that is you literally step on this rock and all of a sudden you either get sucked into it or disappear or whatever else. But the area is well known for having sinkholes in the area, you know, which would probably explain the man-eating rock. <laughs> Don't worry Especially this for me. if this rock can change locations and things like that. Um, Dude. This is one of the coolest native legends. I mean, this is the terror that we were warned about as children growing up in the 90s. Right. This is quicksand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Right. Um, so this legend is that when you step on the rock, it becomes soft, like clay, and it just sucks you down below it. And the coolest thing about it is that you never know where it's going to be. According to the legend, it, like, moves around at will all over the place. Yeah. So, like, no matter where you are, you think you're safe. You're just walking around a place you've walked a hundred times, and all of a sudden, bam, you're standing on the the man-eating rock, and you get swallowed up. So, basically, like a sinkhole. No. (laughs) (laughs) Like a conscious sinkhole. Right, okay. That then disappears and moves. Of course. Um, no, but like, on <clears throat> obviously this is, you know, this is a way of explaining, yeah. of explaining people going missing, which is wild that like, it just goes to show that this phenomenon has been happening for hundreds mm-hmm. of years. People just vanishing in this area. And that right um, there could so be much another so, part of that too. Yeah. I mean... So much so that the tribes had to come up with a way of explaining why people were just vanishing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I really dig the the story of the man-eating rock. I think it's it's really cool, and it's it's kind of another one of those weird weirdness of the area stories. Yeah, you know, they kind of just add to that just mysterious nature of things. Right. I mean, the details of it are obviously kind of wacky, which I find a l- yeah. really fun. But, like, the implications of it are are serious. Of course. Right? Like, oh, yeah. Like, it... For me, that's like... Um, that's like corroboration that this is a phenomenon that's happened here for a very long time. Because mm-hmm. they, they had to explain it somehow. They had to, like, warn their kids. You know what I mean? To not go off in the in the woods by themselves, people go missing out there. And they had to make up a boogeyman, mm-hmm. and it was a man-eating rock. 
right? Yeah, not only do they have this man-eating rock, but they also had these weird directional, counter-directional winds and things like that that yeah. just created these strange weather pattern uh, patterns, which is, you know, something, again, that this area is very known for, is it's just weird, weird weather. Yeah. By the way, thanks a lot. You said four winds, and now I have bright eyes stuck in my head. So yeah. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Um, so I'm trying to trying to just check here. I think I yeah. There was there was the one story I was going to talk about, which was the uh, the the guy. So there was a, um, I believe he was like he, he's like a music instructor or something like that at a college or something. I might be might be butchering that. Uh, but he had decided he was going to go for a hike in the area. And so, you know, he parks his car, he decides to go out, uh, you know, go out for a hike, and he's out for a little while, thinks that he's maybe out two, three miles from where he had parked his car. And, you know, so he's trying to make his way back, and it starts to get just eerily dark, very, very quick. Uh, consumingly okay. dark, you know, to where it's just... Sign. Right. Um, and he said at that point, like, it became, like, just eerily quiet. It was very... Like he could feel something in the air, the in the air, you know, it, it almost seemed like very ominous and very and just weird and very off-putting. Um, right, that weight in the air. And he tried, you know, tried to make his way back to his car, but he kept feeling like there was something, something there, something that might have been following him, something that was, you know, if he risked it, could potentially be life-threatening. Okay. Um, you know, so him, him being, uh, you know, the, I guess having the information he knew and everything about hiking and all of that, he decided, you know, the best thing for him to do, uh, was to try and just kind of find, you know, find a nearby area that he could just wait it out for the night, um, right. you know, and try and maybe sleep and, you know, be able to get back to his car in the morning. At that point, yeah. he felt like he was about a quarter mile or half a mile from his car or something like that. And so, you okay. know, just decided to chill out. But he said that he was drawn. There was this tree. He was drawn to this tree. Like, it was like this very, like, had this, like, strong presence and energy that just kept drawing him to it. Um, so that was the tree he decided to sit under. All right. So... Needless to say, he couldn't sleep through the night. You know, like the first sign of daylight, he starts starts heading back. Um, and he, you know, at this point, he's expected his wife has probably already alerted authorities and everything else. Like, you know, he has no way to he has no way to get a hold of her or anything. Um, and so, you know, he's he's again starts hiking. Um, and he yeah. thinks he's near back to where his car was at, before he's finally picked up by. Um, you know, some in, in a search party uh, looking for him. And he's right. on the complete opposite side of the of the area. So, like, he's like seven or eight miles away at that point. Whoa. And which, like, he's, like I said, I mean, at the beginning of the night, he thought he was, he was very close. And then he ends up yeah. just being literally like seven or eight miles away. Uh, literally had no and, idea how he got there or anything. So as far as he knew, he just sat there through the night. I mean, that's waiting yeah, for daylight. It, I mean, he was yeah, he was sitting there waiting. But I think like, I think what threw him off is because he he also said that you know before it started to get dark, the fog started to kind of roll in, and 
know, the area just became like this, you know, obviously setting the scene for something terrifying. Um, yeah. you know, and so, yeah, but he, he just ended up so far away from where he thought he was because he stayed relatively close. You know, he knew he wasn't going to go out more than like a mile or two away and just, to, yeah. just, you know, an afternoon hike basically is what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And so, yeah, which, I mean, he ended up very, very far away and there was no, like, he had no idea how he had gotten that far out. Yeah, I I mean, I recently hiked a four-mile trail, and I knew it when I was done. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean... It seems odd to me that even with the fog, I feel like he would know if he'd walked that far. I would think so. That's And that was my, you know, that was my thoughts, too. And the fact that by the time he got to where he was, he thought he was very close to being back at his car. Because he said yeah. that he even he even re you know retraced like his route back and everything his path yeah um but like when he got back to there it was completely different like it had almost changed right so was this like a portal slip maybe or missing time or exactly you know what I mean yeah no it could it, be a lot of different things yeah that was that was what I was thinking too I mean. Did this guy like kick into a fugue state and just not remember walking the like seven or eight miles? That's I don't that's know. possible. Another that's a weird one. Another thing that people think about this area is that there there are basically it's like a it's an almost like an area that you can slip into another dimension, which is why some of these people are disappearing literally. Yeah, you know, right out in the open, you know, in the light of day. Um, yeah. So that's that's possible. Just strolling it literally went through like a rift or a portal or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Just strolling through little tears in space time. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Yeah. And terrifying. Yeah, and extremely terrifying. But man, other dimensions and things like that. That's another one I would love to know. One one hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Maybe one day. I think so. I think we will. Um, before we want to wrap, before we wrap up, I want to say like I have a fantastic book that covers a lot of this stuff. It's called "Passing Strange: True Tales of New England Hauntings and Horrors" by Joseph Citro. Um, definitely go check that out if you're into this. It basically it covers like the full range of weird shit mm. in Vermont. Um, which is awesome and a couple other states too but it goes really deep on vermont and there's a lot of weird stuff in that area so yeah it's a it's a great book and just like we were which is uh, why i was gonna say like we were talking about uh even before the show him uh as he was going on talking about his book uh in an interview in 1992 he had actually named this area the bennington triangle like he was the one that kind of coined the phrase yeah Yep. Definitely. Which is pretty cool. So definitely worth checking out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the like the cover art on it is awesome. It's like very like stylized art. It's it's cool. Just yeah. Definitely check it out. Do yourself a favor. But yeah, I think that's uh I think that should wrap us up. Uh what's that? Episode fifty, the Bennington Triangle. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. It's there you will find bonus content behind the scenes. We're just keeping up on our day to day and maybe some swag along the way. It is our way to show thanks for your support and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. With that said, we want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Buy a blanket. Buy a pillow. Anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram. The brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T. All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.